everyone and welcome to Marking the Roll. This is season eight and this is the first episode of 2024. If you're new to Marking the Roll, Marking the Roll is for teachers or it started initially for teachers but now it includes parents as well. Lots of information for those who are interested in education in Australia and anywhere really. Now there's some changes to the podcast from the start of this year. Um, There'll only be two episodes per term. They'll be very irregular, two per term. Uh, And I've removed all the paywalls on uh, Substack, so you can no longer subscribe to Marking the Roll. Um, Any donations are welcome, of course, um, but they'll only be two per term. And now why is that? Um, Well, the hard reason is I had to get a job. Um, That's right, the old cost of living got to me and uh, when I was 25 I traded in my teacher's first date super scheme to go overseas. Now, silly me. Um, Nowadays I'd be quite well off but my friend and my friends um, have a a living wage of about $900 a week and I'm on the age pension, which is a bit hard at these times. But uh, no complaints, go back and do a bit of work. Uh, My partner Lee is also working pretty much full time, so there's only two episodes and I'll try to make them as relevant to teachers and parents as possible. Now, um, last year towards the end we had our first episode on the neuroscience of learning. We looked at cognitive load theory, amongst some other things. But today this is going to be the second episode in that series and we're going to be looking at the neuroscience of learning and exercise and what exercise can do for your ability to learn. They don't teach this in teaching courses and they should. I spent several years at the University of New South Wales in the School of Medical Science and I was an educator there and um, we did lots of work initially on the use of electroencephalographs or EEGs to show people what was happening inside their brain. And one of the most amazing things that scientists have discovered was that when someone does exercise, they grow new neurons inside their brain. What is a neuron? It's a tiny cell. You have about 100 billion of them in your head. And um, when we do exercise, we grow new ones. Now, we don't grow new ones around the outside, towards the outside of our brain, because they usually help us move and, and do other things. But we make the new neurons deep inside our brain, near something called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is the memory center of our brain. So every time we do some sweaty exercise, we make the new neurons, they go deep inside our brain near the hippocampus, and unbelievably, they help us to learn and they help us to retain memories. Now, how have they researched this? Some of the main research has been done with nursing homes and people with dementia. So these people who can't remember who their children are or don't know where they they are, um, they, they can't do much exercise. But if they are capable of moving, they know how to dance and they remember how to do some dancing. So the, the research in one of, in one of the studies, um, they got the dementia patients up to dance, put on some music from the 1950s maybe, um, got them up 
to dance and uh, got them tired and they got tired and said, oh, I'm going to sit down now. And, oh, no, 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 bit more, bit more. So they got them quite exhausted. And then when they sat down, they taught them three things they wouldn't normally know. Um, for example, something they wouldn't normally know, the capital of Texas is Austin. And then they'll say, okay, do you know a magpie only ever lays three eggs? And they'll repeat each one of these facts three times, like a, a good teacher would do, making sure the person understood it. Now, 24 hours later, after they've learnt these new things, after exercise, they're asked what they learnt yesterday. And 80% of the time, these people can remember those three things precisely. Now, um, they may not know the exact thing that it might be about the magpie and those eggs. Oh, how many was it? But they'll pretty much remember most of it. Um, and then scientists put uh, electroencephalographs on people who were on a treadmill. And to their amazement, they actually saw the neurons growing inside their brain. That process is called neurogenesis. So exercise and the ability to remember and learn go hand in hand. And it's something that teachers have forgotten. Now, I don't expect you to take my word on this. The expert has been a Dr. John Ratey, who around about 16 years ago now uh, wrote a book called The Spark Project, or Spark. Um, and um, he has been the number one researcher in this specifically for schools. Um, so I'll let, you, let him tell you about what he found. I first learned about the power of exercise when I was doing my residency in psychiatry in Boston at the time of the Boston Marathon's explosion with Bill Rogers and everybody in Boston was running. We began to see patients who had to stop running for the first time in their lives with an injury. First thing that happened, they got depressed. Then I began to see some people come in and say, look, I can no longer pay attention. I can no longer uh, plan well. I'm procrastinating for the first time in my life. And these were professors from MIT and Harvard and industry leaders that had never experienced uh, what we now call attention deficit disorder. Uh, but they were self-medicating with their daily exercise and this change and led me to be interested in exercise as a treatment for a lot of disorders. We knew that it, uh, from the time of Hippocrates, that exercise was a good treatment for depression. Uh, and I began to say that a bout of exercise was like, like taking a little bit of Prozac and a little bit of Ritalin. But then I learned about this school in Naperville, Illinois, uh, in 2003, that led me to write my book, Spark, which has given me the purpose and mission of changing our education system, bringing back play and exercise as a treatment modality or as a stimulant modality for all of our kids and uh, all of us. And Naperville had 19,000 students. And they had evolved over a 20-year period this wonderful PE program that was fitness-based, and it was every day. 
So the kids were spending 45 minutes, all of them moving and grooving. Well, what got them national recognition is that 3% of their children were overweight. And it was a time when 33% of our kids were overweight. In 7,500 children in the high school, there was not an obese child to be found. Remarkable. But what really got me in an airplane to go there was that some years before, they had taken the TIMS test, the International Science and Math Test, that every country takes every three years to rate and see how they're doing on science and math. And the U.S. is usually in the low to mid-teens. Uh, and they took it as a country. And they came in number one in the world in science and number six in math. So I jumped on an airplane, went there, and began to, to, to put together the science of exercise and its effect, not only for mental health issues, but for cognition. We began to take this uh, idea to other schools, went to an inner city school in Charleston, South Carolina, where they had no uh, resources, one gymnasium, one uh, PE teacher. She set up eight different stations in the gym, had her uh, fourth to eighth graders uh, come in every morning for 30 minutes, play basketball, one station, double dutch jump road in another, uh, pogo stick, hula hoops. They, they kept rotating, so the novelty was there. What they found in the first four months was a 83% drop in discipline problems. Now, it wasn't just burning off energy. What they were doing is they were turning their brains on. We worked with another school up in northern Ontario, where the high school, where they had a special class for their 25 bad boys. Uh, they were very disruptive uh, in a bad way. And uh, one of the things that they, they had to do was to suspend these children uh, if they were in fights and uh, breaking furniture or just disrupting the class too much. So we went in and helped them design a program uh, in, to get all these kids moving and moving vigorously in the morning. Semester before, they had 95 days of suspension of these children. After we started the program, it dropped to five. Then, as well, the attendance went up. So these kids came to school, and these were rough kids, came to school to get their, their uh, uh, credits, to, do, to finish their courses, to participate in schools. Now, what happens when we exercise is we turn on our front part of the brain, the last part of the brain, to evolve. This is a part of the brain that's called our CEO of the brain or our prefrontal cortex, where our uh, frontal executive functions are. And when we exercise, when we move, we turn that part of the brain on. As well, we create a lot of neurotransmitters that we aim at it with our psychiatric drugs. And we create another substance that we had just learned about called BDNF, or brain-derived neurotropic factor, which I called miracle grow for the brain. Because when we fire our nerve cells, we make this stuff, and this 
keeps our brain cells young and perky. One of the reasons why exercise is one of the best ways to prevent the onset of cognitive de decline and Alzheimer's disease, but it also readies our brain to be plastic. And we know we need to exercise, we know we need to have our brain cells grow to log in any new information. So exercise is a terrific way to improve the learner because it turns on the uh, attention system, it turns on the motivation system, it turns on the memory system, as well as it makes all of our little brain cells ready to, to grow and sprout. And that's the only way we learn anything. So the more fit the child is, the better learner they are. So my purpose, my mission is to go around the country and the world to, to tell people, look, exercise makes your brain better it make it optimizes your brain's ability to learn it it helps with uh, regulate our your emotions it improves your motivation and it's something that we have unfortunately been taking out of our schools we need to reinvigorate our schools and get our kids out of their seats uh, and moving So that was Dr. John Rady, who wrote uh, Spark, the Revolutionary New Science of Exercise in the Brain, uh, out with little brown books. Mind you, that um, voice grab from Rady is 11 years old, and the term neurogenesis is only about nine years old. So since he started doing this work, we've learnt a hell of a lot more about what exercise does for the brain and how you can actually see the neurons growing. Now, with this in mind, I thought we'd ask someone about how are the best ways to get kids into exercise, especially kids who might have lived through COVID and become addicted to their devices. Now, I live in a bit of a seaside village called Thoreau, and I walk the dogs in the morning in this park, which is fairly close to the beach, and Often in the park, there's this guy who's got groups of kids and the kids are running around the park and they're doing exercise and they're racing one another and they're obviously having a great time. And I thought I'd approach this guy and say, oh, what, what's going on? What are you doing? His name's Ben Couchman uh, from Thrull and I began by asking him a fairly standard question with new guests. Ben, can you tell us a little bit about your background with uh, physical fitness and exercise? Yeah, thanks, Phil. It's fair to say I've had a lifetime involvement in rugby league. It's been my main passion and everything I've done physical with fitness has kind of spurred off that as a hub. I started as a young boy um, at the age of six with my local club, The Rule. Um, I worked my way up the age groups and... Um, managed to get um, as far as the lower grades at the uh, Illawarra Steelers. Some listeners will remember the Steelers. Yeah, it was my, uh, it was my dream to make it in the professional ranks, but I, I fell a, a tiny bit short. I was never able to make a, you know, a real living out of the sport. But I uh, went back and played nine years of first grade at my, my local club, The Rule, and, and loved every minute of that. So, so you've had a great um, history of physical fitness, but it, but it really at a bit of an elite level or a high level, and and most kids at school won't aspire to that, I guess, although some will. Um, we know the benefits of exercise on the brain, but 
from your uh, teaching of physical fitness, what are some other benefits that you've seen uh, taking place for young people? Yeah, look, I see. I see the firstly is positive self-esteem. They just develop some confidence in themselves, um, moving. Um, I've coached a lot of junior sporting teams as well as as also as I've delved in a lot of um, coaching clinics and things like that. So I've kind of covered both gamuts, both both voluntary and in a commercial training kind of business. Universal with both those aspects is the positive self esteem. Um, with the team sports, you develop a sense of teamwork. Uh, I suppose feel they get resilient um, short term on a short term basis. That might be getting through a tough part of a of a fitness session. Um, a medium term could be overcoming setbacks, a selection or missing a trial in a team. Um, and as parents, we can be conduits for those kids helping um, put those setbacks into perspective and actually use them as learning and growth opportunities. So that's another benefit. Um, they learn movement skills. They learn coordination. We know the obvious physical benefits. Uh, movements in itself is a joyful state and, and therefore it's nearly impossible to be to be simultaneously depressed while we're moving. So yeah, that, that in itself is the probably one of the nicest benefits to be gained from physical activity. It's interesting what you say about that because the research is that that uh, depression and anxiety among school-age kids has really been on the increase. But that's gone hand-in-hand hand with the decrease in movement and sport uh, at school. So I think you're right with that. Um, and you did say that, that, that parents can be instrumental in this as far as resilience, getting kids over, you know, having doing a hard fitness centre uh, session or um, not getting into a team. Do you talk about this with, with parents? Yeah, I do. I, I'm always open to um, to discussing things like that. And, I, you know, I'll draw on experience I've had, whether it's personally myself as a youth going through or, or um, as a parent of my own kids as, through their journeys. And it's really important. We're not just simply there to drop our kids at, offered a a training session if they're in a team sport um we're there to help them contextualize the experience and and put and put things in in their proper perspective it it can't always be someone else's fault Uh, we can't always be the victim um you know but at the same time helping them to get perspective in in good times and bad is really um, important and sport plays a large role in that Yes, and to take responsibility for their own fitness and I guess in a team environment to take responsibility for what they're doing for the team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, now, um, I, I know with COVID, there was a lot of young people who spent a lot of time in front of an iPad or an Xbox or their phone. Um, how do you motivate young people who are addicted to devices? Have you had this problem? Is it possible to motivate them? Yeah, I think it is. It's certainly a, certainly a challenge we, we face, and it's a generation ago, you know, what do we call it, the the idiot box that's a television. Now it's, it's, it's gone next level, hasn't it? Um, I suppose it starts. It can start with us as parents. If we're talking about parents um, and, and, and setting an example, um, you know, taking on active pursuits ourselves, um, whether that's, you know, walking, running, weight training, anything like that and if we lead if we lead with our actions um you know a lot of the time our kids will they watch what we do more than what they listen to what we say don't they they do so you, so what you're saying is that 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 if your child is is hooked on a device and doesn't want to get out and do some exercise that it's best to to start doing it yourself and and set the example 
Yeah, that's right. And then when, when we, and then when we look at the exercise itself, we you know, if they're if they're, you've got a lot of kids that just love, you know, really sport minded kids. They'll love training and they love that kind of stuff. But here to the to, to the to the problem here, we're talking about unmotivated kids. We've got to make it fun. Um, and sometimes we've got to be creative and, and, you know, whether we can indulge their passions and link that to exercise, like things like, you know, if we've got a kid that loves animals and wildlife, let's take him for a bushwalk. Um, you know, even even sometimes thinking outside the square, and this is this is one that I have done before with one of my sons and just gone and said, let's go down for a walk and down in the train station and count, count how many carriages on trains. And we've just got to think outside the square, find ways to trick them into movement and planning, planning does help. You know, the earlier in the day, the better. As an example, I've just ran some early morning holiday clinics a couple of times a week, and I locked in a time of 8.30, being the kids could get up, get moving in the morning, be finished by 9.30, and have the day to themselves. Just starting with small small steps, as they start to gain some enjoyment, and then you can lock in some more, more time exercising. Now, earlier in this episode, I talked about the Spark program which exists in the United States and I know you're a little bit familiar with that you know and parents have got to be on side for that spark program because it involves the kids doing as you suggested morning exercise and doing it regularly five days a week have you ever encountered resistance from parents to kids getting up at 6 30 and doing exercise have you seen resistance increase lately I think most of the people that come come through um because it's a structured program and they're choosing to come, they kind of, they've kind of already crossed that barrier. So, um, I think, but it's a relationship of trust. And if they see that anyone that knows me knows I don't do things by half. So parents will know that I'll do everything in my power to, to help their kid. And that's whether that's a kid that isn't much of a mover and it's developing self-esteem, or if it's on the, you know, if it's on the other end of the spectrum and trying to excel in a chosen sport. Um, if there's a relationship there, whether it's a teacher or a coach, and there's a trust element. Um, then those barriers can can pretty much be removed. And I know as a parent, if I see my kid that's passionate or, or growing in an area and gaining confidence, then I'm happy to try to facilitate them doing that activity. Now, Ben, we, we know that Australian schools probably won't undertake a program like the Spark program unless there's a dedicated set of teachers um, who will take responsibility or community members in every community to take responsibility. Um, because schools are under so much pressure. Uh, is it important for whoever teaches the students or takes them for the, for the physical fitness also does the exercise with them? Um, if, there's already, if there's already energy there from the kids, you might not need to. But sometimes, 100%, feel 100%, sometimes it's more than, um, it's probably the, the best idea to get in and amongst it. If they can look at you as a as a as a teacher or a coach and see that you look relatively fit and you know when you demonstrate one or two movements you look athletic and competent then that's probably it that could be enough of a inspiration it's funny you know I, one of my old oldest and fondest teachers uh was a, a guy called john island at through primary school he actually taught me in year three and later in year five and ironically my wife was and i were in the same class together in year five he was still teaching at Thrill School up until two or three years ago. And I can still remember Mr. Island used to take us for morning laps of the school. So he was ahead of his time, really, when you talk about what they're doing with this Spark program in the States. Yeah. 
Yeah, look, I, even when I went to school, I had teachers who would make us have a bit of a run or do some, some sweaty exercise in the morning. And I'm sure, yes, they didn't know about the SPARK program then. Yeah. But we know now from that SPARK program that um, raising sweat is important. Now, raising sweat to listeners will say, oh, well, fast running or, or fast riding a bike. But it doesn't have to be that to raise a sweat. No. Um, what sort of exercises does raise a bit of a sweat for the kids, um, but is not going to make them completely stuffed? Is there, is there sorts of exercise that'll do that? Yes, Phil, there are. And and you spoke you spoke to the fact of like variety and not doing the same thing every day as well, as well. And uh, so it's look, it's a it's a bit of an art and, and not a science. Um, obviously, not sport is science based, but um, you want to provide some variety um, and you also dovetail it with um, familiarity so there's scope for progression I like to use a little thing called the three P's like first time I introduce an activity prescribe it the second time we do it we progress further with it and the third time um, you know we try to perfect it not that you want to be perfect at it but just that three three times and then then usually that's enough for development then I, then I like to move on to something else because otherwise you're going to get stale and the boredom factor. But as far as activities, look, you can mix up all your principles. You've, the basic, if you, when you look at movement patterns, the basic is jumping, running, throwing, squatting. You can hinge, you can push or pull. And all those, the kids don't need to know what segment they're working in. That's just carefully planned in a macro sense. Um, and then you just relax and enjoy the session and, like every teacher's always done, you, you you probably spend twice to three times the amount of time of the lesson in the planning. Yep. So so for for listeners thinking, oh geez, I wouldn't mind you know helping start a, a spark program spark program in uh, my community. I know in America they did five days, and each day was a different activity. Although occasionally they repeated them. There was stuff like Zumba classes was one of them. Um, walking on a sure. treadmill yeah. was another one. Now, that's fairly boring, but if you can walk on a treadmill for 15, 20 minutes, you can raise a bit of a sweat. So it doesn't that's have right. to be the outside on the oval all the time. It can be gym-based some of the time or even like a, like a dance class some of the time too, as long as the kids are moving. Yeah, that's right, 100%. And, yeah, utilise what resources you've got. Um and, and, and go from there. You can be a, a little a little circuit or some body weight, you know, body weight jumps and, and, and push-ups and things like that, getting up and down off the ground. And even little, even funny things like wheelbarrow races. You do a, you do a wheelbarrow race, it's incredibly testing on your on your core strength and your and your, your push strength and stuff, and it's a heap of fun while you're doing it. So it's really, it's infinite, the amount of options if, you, if you're taking over, reaching, looking, providing the variety of, of different stimulus. Now, I, I've seen both you and another guy in my local park at 7am uh, during school time, during school weeks, with groups of kids. Now, I know that those kids are going to get pretty exhausted and then they're going to probably go and have a bite of breakfast and then go to school. Now, some groups are huge. They're, they're big groups. What age groups do you take and what sort of commitment do you need from the parents and the kids? Like, the parents have got to stay there during that 40 minutes of exercise or something, do they? You know, we we run programs for children from 6 to, say, 14 or 15. 
our classes are mixtures of sprint training, endurance running. Uh, we do some gym strength classes at my studio gym. Um, but as far as circling back to, to the group sessions there, Phil, um, the, the first commitment is just we, we engage the kids for a 10-week block, which runs concurrently with the school term. Um, that way that gives everyone scope to get away for holidays and also gives the kids a chance to deload and not, you know, be training every day, every sorry, every week of the year. Um, so so commitment-wise, yeah, there's a commitment at upfront, pay for the 10-week block. That helps us plan numbers, um, organise extra coaches, and it helps the kids as they develop consistency, you know, improve performance, and then leads to, to enjoyment. But as far as, like, I'm happy for the parents to go and, do an errand, do their shopping, things like that. Um, they're just aware that we finish, if we start at seven, we finish at eight, for instance, whatever that time may be, and that it's there to, to the pickup. Yes, well, just, just going back on that Spark program, in America they found that the students uh, in the schools that did the program had massive improvements in their academic achievement, their mood and their motivation, whereas the students in the other side of the country who didn't take part the same number of schools, there was no increase and no change in student achievement. So the research is in on this, and I think schools, certainly in our local area of the Illawarra, but but all over the country, should be saying, okay, why aren't we doing this? Um, we're doing lots of other things that, that are good for them mentally or supposedly, but perhaps to change their anxiety and depression, we've got to get them moving. I'd love the chance to, to be involved in establishing, you know, assisting the development of, of programs like this. I'd be all ears to any principals that wanted to, to chat about. Um, but connecting with schools, it's, it's definitely an area that I want to explore. Uh, the idea of, you know, tracking the, the mood of students and seeing if it has any effect on their academic performance um, is a very good one. And, and I've heard you mention that's a similar you know, route that they take in the Spark program. So, if someone was interested in talking to you, Ben, about this, I'm going to put your details on the podcast on the episode notes, so that they can contact you via email. And look, I know there's some parents thinking, "I've got to go to work. I've got to leave work at eight o'clock." So, so what times do the sessions start, or do you suggest they start and finish? Currently, most of my programs outside of school hours uh most of my junior stuff is in the afternoon uh so i could definitely switch to a morning session say you know 6 45 that kind of thing yeah it's, in other countries 6 45 till 7 30 works pretty well because then they go and have uh their breakfast now um just talking again for those listening uh, exercise produces new neurons in the brain near the hippocampus um, it, that process is called neurogenesis. Uh, you might make a couple of thousand new neurons and they're memory neurons. They don't help you move. Um, so what your exercise programs do is create those new neurons and then the kids go to school and they use those new neurons. <laughs> so it, it it's, it's makes sense really to do it in the mornings. This podcast supports the Australian Declaration of Biological Truth. Anyone can sign the declaration to express their concern about transgender ideology in Australian schools, sports, business, and culture. In schools, kids as young as five are being told they can be born in the wrong body and they can change their sex. This is a biological impossibility. 
Men who identify as women can play in some women's sports. This is unfair and unsafe. It's free to sign and you can sign privately so your name can't be seen. Hundreds of teachers and parents have already signed. Just search for Declaration of Biological Truth Australia. Thanks for listening. Now, Ben, uh, I know most uh, parents listening and, and, and even young people listening, they don't want to be an elite athlete. But you have a history with your sons, I believe. There's a bit of a story with your sons and what they've managed to achieve. Um, yeah, look, I've got I've got twin boys, um, Ryan and, and Toby, and they just turned 20 a couple of months ago. But, yeah, they've probably lived out their dreams and uh, made NRL debuts um, with the St George Laura Dragons. Uh, I suppose it's been a really, um, really big journey for us as a family, um, helping them through the highs and lows of that. But it's given me a little bit more of an overview on how to help kids coming through in the future. Uh, if Whatever our kids are doing, if they're passionate about it, they, it'll lead to good things. And that's certainly something we encourage them from a young age. And they're, they're, they're playing first grade. We've got listeners from, from Western Australia and Northern Territory. but the, So they'll be playing first grade, which is the, called the NRL, National Rugby League in Australia, for a team called St George Illawarra Dragons. And when does that, that season start? Uh, the season will start in early March. So, yeah, so they're preparing the tri- trials period soon and then finishing off their pre-season with their squad. And, um, yeah, so it's it. They're loving what they're doing. They're in a really good network and yeah, living the life of a professional athlete. And any young kids or parents listening, they were they weren't the kids that were the on on high on the radar at 15. And they were they actually missed a heap of teams. They missed they were missed a lot of teams sometimes because they didn't deserve to make it. And if that was the case, so I, I told them I would tell them that. Uh, but yeah, but other t- whether it's right or wrong, the, the the next course of action is always keep working hard. Whether you've had whether you've had success or failure, you've, the recipe is just progression and hard work. But uh, it's just a nice example for other youngsters in the area that, you know, diligence and hard work um, can help us if it's our true passion. And as a parent, it was my, I, I saw it was my duty to encourage them and be real with them along the way. But one thing I, we did always say was, um, you're not going to make it if you don't have a red-hot crack, but there is no failure at the end of this enjoy the process work really hard and if you don't if you do fall short the traits you learn along the way the confidence uh, self-belief are going to serve you well in life in general so it's not about we don't the journey goes in all different ways but enjoy the process more than worry about the result yep yep and even if you're not aiming to be a first grade player or an elite athlete you know your heart will be better and your brain will be better And that was Ben Couchman, quite a personality in the Thoreau area. If you want to get in contact with Ben, um, all of his details are on the episode notes. Um, So when you go into Spotify or Apple, you can click on uh, the actual episode and there's a whole lot of notes there and um, email addresses and things like that. Well, my name is Phil Dye. You've been listening to Marking the Roll. This is Season 8 and there's only going to be two episodes in this season uh, as I explained before if you're a teacher have a good term if you're a parent have a good term and I'll see you again soon